It's Friday, May 5th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. A good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Right Report, your daily news podcast. I've got three briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up today is a big day for the U.S. economy. I'll tell you about numbers that you should be watching for, plus why car insurance rates are going way up. Second, I've got some intriguing news on the energy front. An old company has a new design for a nuclear plant. It's smaller, safer, and doesn't stop working when the wind blows. Sorry about that, wind turbines. That's all coming up. Third, I have a new series here to tell you about on the right report. It's called The Farming Game. Yeah, it's all about the ups and the downs of the agricultural world and how that impacts you, whether you are on a farm or in the city. And I'm doing this series because of this question. Where does chocolate milk come from? Now, that sounds crazy, but a lot of people do not know the answer. So we are going to talk about that, plus how things are looking in the world of wheat and cattle. Later, we close out the podcast with a medical study on a very popular set of plants. One is coffee and the other is tea. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. In a couple of hours, we should know a little bit more about the health of America's economy. The U.S. Labor Department is reporting the April payroll numbers, and that'll show us the latest hiring and unemployment rates. So you should be looking for two sets of numbers. The first is 180,000, right? That's the expected number of new hires. The second number you should be looking for is 3.6%. That is the anticipated unemployment rate. Now, if those numbers are better than expected, that's actually bad. All right. That's because the Federal Reserve wants the economy to cool off. Also, that the inflation rate cools off, too, to around 2%. So any numbers showing that the economy is in growing shape actually means that's bad. Then in turn, that means that the Fed is going to likely have to keep raising those interest rates to sort of punch the economy further in the face. And that is certainly not good for a lot of reasons, but especially if you have credit card debt or you want to buy a house or a car. And speaking of that last bit, I've got some important numbers to tell you about regarding vehicles. And you might want to hold on to your wallet or your purse for this next one, because insurance rates, ladies and gentlemen, are going up. And that is pretty much across the board, no matter the company that provides you that insurance. So here's what we know as reported by the Wall Street Journal. Major insurance companies, including Allstate, Progressive, and Travelers, are bumping up the cost of their policies by some pretty substantial amounts. Allstate, for instance, plans for an 8.4% increase across 28 states. Right, That is on top of an 11% increase last quarter and a 14% increase the quarter before. Meanwhile, the company Progressive is saying that they plan to, quote, be aggressive with raising rates, end quote, though they did not give an exact number. Although we have a little bit of a hint. Last quarter, that number was up 4%. Last year, 13% increase. Finally, we have travelers, and they are saying last month, in fact, they raised their rates by 14%, with future increases to be, quote, modestly higher, end quote. All right, so what's driving this increase? 
Well, all three companies are saying that car parts are getting much more expensive to replace when you say have a fender bender. Plus, they're dealing with higher labor costs associated by, well, the labor shortage at your local repair shop. And that lack of mechanics, by the way, means that you are going to car rental companies more often and for longer until you hit your uh, busted car back. Now, at first, of course, the bill goes to the insurance companies, but then, now, they're coming back for it with higher insurance premiums and deductibles. So all in all, keep that in mind as your insurance policies come for renewal. Probably going to be pretty painful. Now, there is one small bit of good news, at least on the car front. If you're looking for a new vehicle, you might be in a good position to haggle. And that's because, according to the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis, inventories of new vehicles have nearly doubled from their low of 64,000 cars back in February of last year. And so with inventories increasing, analysts predict that car companies and car lots are likely going to have to start lowering prices, but you might have to ask for them first. So folks, if you have the means and the need, this summer might be a good time to pick up a new deal on a good car. Well, that said, you may want to check on the insurance rates uh, first because it seems like if, say, Chevy or Toyota gives you a good deal on the parking lot, well, Progressive or Allstate might not. All right, with that, my friends, let's move on to our second brief of the morning. And for this brief, we are going to talk about the possibility of a good piece of news regarding where we get our electricity from. Although, let's first dig into this a bit more with some background. Because normally here on The Right Report, we talk about traditional forms of energy like oil and gas. And we compare that to harvested forms of energy from the sky like uh, solar and wind. Yet there's another critical place where we get our electricity from, and that's nuclear power. And when I say we get our electricity from this place, it, I, by that I mean we as humans all around the world. In fact, in places like France, it makes up almost 70% of their power. In South Korea and Russia, it comes to around 20 to 25% as well. And that is actually pretty close to what we get here in the United States. We're around 19%, at least according to the U.S. Energy Information Administration. But as most of us know, nuclear energy has a bad rap. Opponents highlight the possibility of a nuclear meltdown or accident like we saw at Fukushima, Japan back in 2011. Or, they say, these nuclear power plants are wildly expensive to build. Case in point, the folks at Georgia Power, they are just starting to turn on four reactors that'll come in at a cost of around $31 to $35 billion. And yet, when those plants are eventually built... They produce a tremendous amount of electricity without carbon dioxide emissions, if you care about such a thing. And they create that energy with absolute reliability. You've got no worries, say, about clouds blocking the solar panel or a windless day that leaves your wind turbines looking like a weird bunch of trees. And it's because of those benefits about nuclear power that a number of companies have been working on a new solution to this relatively old nuclear technology. And their goals are to give you, you know, all the good stuff, the reliable electricity, but on a smaller scale with safer operations. And so they've come up with something, actually. It's called Small Modular Reactors, or SMRs. And there's one actually currently being built in Wyoming, constructed by a company called TerraPower, for around $4 billion. 
There's another one in Idaho Falls, Idaho, too. It's being built by a company called New Scale. That should come online by the year 2030 at a cost of around $9 billion. And then, last but not least, we've got news from the company Westinghouse. So yesterday they announced a new SMR design. It's called the AP300. And it's kind of like the mini-me version of the reactor design that I mentioned was built in Georgia. Well, this sort of smaller mini-me version will pump out about 300 megawatts of power. That's enough for around 350,000 homes. And that's about half of what a typical coal power plant produces. Well, yesterday Westinghouse said that the great benefit of their new design is that it is going to be much cheaper than any of their competitors, around $1 billion in all. Although, again, I should say here that these plants, even the SMRs, are becoming pretty notorious in their reputations for cost overruns. But still, it's important to know that these SMRs are another tool in our energy toolkit. And that's true whether or not you believe in climate change, right? Because just like traditional forms of energy, nuclear produces energy day and night, rain or shine, without any carbon dioxide emissions. And that's why I'm going to keep watching this SMR industry pretty closely, especially at these first plants in Wyoming, Idaho, and actually there's another one in Illinois too. Now, we should see some really interesting innovations from these places. And that's why, if you'd like, I would encourage you to keep up with this as well. Just do a little bit of internet researching on SMR technology, and you can get into the weeds of exactly how it works. Pretty cool stuff. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. Now, most of you likely won't hear any ads over the next few minutes, so enjoy the ad-free experience, and we will be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning, and I've got a new series that I want to talk to you about. It's on a topic that is near and dear to me, and I think you'll see why it should be for you too, and it's called The Farming Game. All right, so the focus of this ongoing series is going to be about the joys and challenges and economic realities of starting and running a farm or ranch. And I'm doing this series, ladies and gentlemen, in part because I grew up on a farm, but also because of a survey that was done back in 2017. And that survey done by the Innovation Center for U.S. Dairy asked Americans what should have been a pretty simple question. Where does chocolate milk come from? Well, 48% of respondents said they had no idea. Another 7% said that chocolate milk actually comes from brown cows, which, just to confirm, is not true. Chocolate milk, or any flavored milk, is just plain old milk that has been mixed with things like chocolate. The color of the cow has nothing to do with it. And I know that some of us might chuckle at that, but it actually highlights something important that I think we should talk about. In 1935, there were 6.8 million farms in America, but according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, that number is now at 2 million. Meanwhile, the American workforce used to be 70% engaged in the ag industry, and now it's around 1%. And of that 1%, Half of America's farmers and ranchers will reach retirement over the next 10 years. That's according to the Kansas Reflector. So the point, folks, is that over the past 100 years, we have separated ourselves from where and how our food is grown and raised. And we have left that burden to a group of folks that are, well, growing older. 
And as they retire, that raises a whole bunch of questions. Namely, who's going to take over? Is it other younger farmers that might be, say, our neighbors or cousins? Or maybe is it going to be large corporate interests who might not have our best interests in mind? So that is why I'm bringing you this new ongoing series called The Farming Game, which I have one more confession. I got the name from an actual board game that I played as a kid called The Farming Game, and I loved it. It was just a, a very simple way, very fun way to understand agriculture. So I'm using that name, as well as my experience growing up on a farm, to bring you, ladies and gentlemen, this really cool series. All right, let's start the farming game with one piece of farming news that most listeners of The Right Report generally know about. It's about wheat, specifically some international news that is driving the price of wheat higher, as reported yesterday by Bloomberg News. Wheat prices, folks, have risen about 6% over the past few days, and that's all because of a drone strike in Russia. So let's talk about what's going on. First, with a little bit of background, Russia is the world's leading exporter of wheat, which is one of the most important crops that feeds humanity. Well, as we all know, Russia invaded Ukraine last year, which in and of itself, that country was the fifth leading wheat exporter before the war. In other words, we have some supply disruptions, all right? Two major wheat exporters are at each other's throats. Well, on Wednesday, there was apparently a drone attack aimed at President Vladimir Putin's residence in Moscow. Now, Putin wasn't there when it happened, but the Kremlin has since accused Kiev and Washington, D.C. as the culprits behind the attack. Now, D.C. and Kiev are both saying, not wasn't us, but whatever the truth, the wheat market reacted with concern, up 6%, all because of fears that wheat supplies from both Russia and Ukraine could be affected. And we've talked a lot about that on The Right Report as part of the wheat wars briefs that I've given you. But this drone strike in Russia, folks, just underlines the point of this farming game, right? Events that happen far away can impact your farming operations in the smallest of communities here at home. But I'll tell you, it's not just strange foreign lands that are affecting the wheat crop and price this year. There's another, shall we say, nemesis too. And it is as old as time. Now I'm talking about the weather. And right now, the poor farmers and ranchers in Kansas, Oklahoma, and northern Texas are not doing so well. They are bone dry down there with a record drought continuing to hammer crops, especially wheat, but also cattle, which we will get to in just a minute. But first, let's talk about that drought and how it is affecting wheat. According to the U.S. Drought Monitor, all of the counties in southwest Kansas are in an exceptional drought. Meanwhile, 60% of the rest of the state, which, by the way, is the nation's leading wheat grower, they are all in a drought, too, labeled either exceptional or extreme. All right, so that is the poor state of Kansas. So from there, we head south to Oklahoma where 20% of that state is in an exceptional drought as well. In fact, more than one-third of the state is in either extreme or exceptional drought as well. But I actually want to drill down a little bit more in Oklahoma. Specifically, I want to talk about three counties in Oklahoma's key wheat-growing region. Right, They are at the driest that they have been since record-keeping began back in 1895. Right? And that means that it is drier now there than during the Dust Bowl back in the 1930s. And because of that extraordinary drought, ladies and gentlemen, in Kansas and Oklahoma, 
Farmers there are losing much of their wheat crops. In fact, in Kansas, the health of its winter wheat crop is at a 20-year low. Oklahoma is not faring much better. That, by the way, is according to reporting from the media outlet Axios. So this is obviously awful for the farmers in Kansas and Oklahoma, but what does this mean for consumers? Well, it will have an impact on your grocery bill, too. As just one example, the company General Mills sources their wheat for Pillsbury dough products from Kansas and Oklahoma. But there's another impact that you might not think about with this terrible drought and the wheat crop. You see, this same area that is so deeply impacted by drought, say within a 100-mile radius of Dodge City, Kansas, well, that is where 25% of the country's beef supply comes from as well. And here's the connection. With less grass and other ground cover for those cows to eat, that means that ranchers are choosing or having to sell off parts or all of their cattle herds. And that has led to this. The size of America's beef cow herd is at the lowest levels it has been since 1962. Now, that means a couple of things. For ranchers who live outside of this area, hopefully they have cheaper hay and better grasses. Well, if so, they can get some pretty fat prices for the cows and calves that they plan to sell for slaughter. But even then, ranchers only get about 39 cents of every dollar that consumers spend at the grocery store. Now, if you're wondering where the rest of that money is going, the 61 cents of every dollar, well, welcome to the farming game. The rest of that money goes to the middlemen, with much of it going to one of the four slaughterhouses that controls about 85% of the process that turns that cow into a delicious steak or hamburger. Which actually takes us to your backyard. Right, demand for beef and related prices usually spike in the summertime because of a spike in backyard barbecues. Now, the exact amount depends on the year and assorted variables. But for this year, analysts predict that because of the smaller herd, in other words, tighter supply, consumers should expect to see higher beef prices at the grocery store starting probably in the next couple of weeks. So... There you are, ladies and gentlemen, my friends. This is the very first of many installments of this series that we shall call The Farming Game. And we have so much to cover. We've got discussions about crops like soybeans and corn, rice and sugar. Then we're going to do a fun thought experiment. All right, I'm going to have you imagine that you are sitting on the front porch of a farmhouse that is for sale, overlooking a thousand acres, right? What would it be like? to start a farm from scratch? What would it cost? And what would you expect to earn from that kind of operation? And you know, how long would the days be? And would that be worth it? Especially as say the state and federal government make increasing demands on you, like limiting your water use from creeks and ponds, or demanding that your cows stop passing so much gas into the atmosphere. Yeah, you gotta worry about climate change stuff too. Anyway, so much more to come. So you know what? Go get yourself a straw hat. Maybe you work on your farmer's tan. And let's, let's have some summer fun. Let's get to playing the farming game. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. So enjoy this next break, which will be ad-free for now. And we will be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. 
I want to leave you today with a little bit of health news from around the world. I've got a study about consuming two different plants with one very good outcome. So researchers in Australia were curious to know what effects, if any, coffee and tea might have on the macular retinal nerve, right? That's the thin layer of nerve cells that transmits visual information from the eye to the brain. And most of us know uh, what happens when that macula starts to degenerate or thin. Yeah, when we start hitting our 40s and 50s, things get a little bit blurry, and most of the time we throw on some glasses and we're good. But in the late stages of this eventual disease, it can lead to blindness. So these researchers, to include doctors at the University of Melbourne, tapped into a database in the United Kingdom that included 35,000 participants and looked at their consumption of both tea and coffee. And they divided them into four groups, from zero cups a day consumed to four or more cups a day. So this is what they found, controlling for other factors. Coffee drinkers had a significant increase in the thickness of that macular retinal nerve. And that's a good thing. Thicker is better in this case. So the key was drinking two to three cups of coffee a day, over that actually started to show some bad health effects. Meanwhile, tea drinkers, eh, y'all fared pretty well too. But unlike coffee, yeah, you had to drink a little bit more, four or more cups per day. Researchers are now exploring what exact parts of coffee and tea might explain this uh, good thickening of that optical nerve. But for now, well, bottoms up, my fellow coffee and tea drinkers, just not too much. And by the way, no instant stuff, right? The researchers found that for whatever reason, instant coffee tends to increase bad health effects, things like neurodegenerative diseases. So just stick to the good stuff, grind it and drink it. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you on Monday, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.